Well, good morning. It is good to be able to worship our Lord God with you. If you have your Bibles, we will be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and um, we will be doing um, verses 10 through 15 today. We covered uh, last week, we covered verses uh, 1 through 9. So before I read the, the word and pray, there's a story that goes a little bit like this. During a Scottish worship service in Edinburgh, it's reported that one member of the congregation accidentally put in a crown piece that's probably worth about a hundred bucks instead of a penny, which was about a buck sixty-six. And when he did that, he winced as he realized what he'd done and quietly asked the usher for it back. But the usher said, in once, in forever, the giver groaned, I'll get credit for it in heaven. No, said the usher, you'll get credit only for a penny. Second Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to go ahead and read verses 1 through 15. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who, a year ago, started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. The grass withers, the flower it fades, But the word of our God is forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, you have given us Jesus Christ as the motivation to give. Though he was rich, he became poor so we might become rich. Give us giving hearts and show us the limits today of giving. But let us give nonetheless. We bless you. We praise you. We need your Holy Spirit. We cannot understand your word that is the, your very breath 
without your spirit enlightening our minds and our hearts. So take these words, apply them to our hearts, we pray, so that you would be glorified. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, what we saw in verses 1 to 9 was that Jesus himself shows how grace expresses itself in love to give up one's rights for the sake of meeting the needs of others. He considered, Jesus did, the needs of others more important than himself. It says, Jesus was rich, but for our sake became poor, so that we might become rich. And Jesus, his richness was because of his divine preexistence, his equality with God. But Jesus became poor by taking on flesh, by earthly poverty, by experiencing the wrath of God, by his birth even, by his death, and by his life. We were poor because we are under, without Christ, the wrath and judgment of God. We were without God and without hope in the world. But in Christ, we became rich because he made Jesus to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God and be declared righteous, united with Christ, forgiven and adopted and given the Holy Spirit to live in us. And so because of this, authentic salvation changes our orientation toward wealth. If our professed salvation has not loosed grips on our wallet and on our belongings, on material things, and has not made us giving people, we need to ask ourselves this simple question. Do we truly know the grace of God in Christ? Why do we give? Out of delight. We don't give because we must. We give from joy. We give ourselves as Christ gave himself. We become like Christ as we act in the same way that he did, giving up our physical resources for others because of the spiritual riches that we have in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this passage, beginning in verse 10, I want us to see the reality of our giving is that there are very real benefits to it. In verse chapter 10, Paul says that in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. You see, in Paul's judgment, it is actually profitable or beneficial for the Corinthians to finish what they were started a year ago. See, Paul had went there. He was taking up a collection for the Jerusalem church. And when he did, the people were going to give it. They said they would. And then they had a falling out with Paul. And so they stopped giving. And so now Paul is reminding of that to help the needy in Jerusalem. And so he says that finishing the giving would be continued evidence, is what he's getting at, of God's grace in their lives. That's what he was talking about earlier in verses 1 to 9. But to not complete it would show that they had actually turned their back on their entire profession of being members of God's people. You see, as they give to the Jews in Jerusalem, they are having solidarity with them. They're saying, we're united with you and we're giving to you to show that the grace of God is there. And so the question becomes, 
really, why is it profitable? Why does he say it's profitable to you? The Corinthians have to look at their money differently. Because of God's grace, their resources are actually an opportunity to do good works and to glorify the Lord. So the reality is that it is not possible to grow in spiritual maturity if you are not giving your finances to God. You will not grow in spiritual maturity because you're clinging to the earth, clinging to the world, clinging to material things instead of clinging to Christ. For you are seated in Christ and with heavenly places. And you must set your mind not on things below, but on things above where Christ is. And so if you can't set your mind on things above where Christ is, you're not going to grow in Christ because you're stuck. So money is tied up with our soul. The Bible says the love of money, not money itself, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You see, our handling of money defines our affections. It shows the things we treasure, how tightly we're bound to the world. What really matters is whether our giving is an act of grace toward others, like Christ becoming a man that flowed from his grace. So our giving comes from our joy. It's not the other way around. It's not that you give and you get joy. You might. But what this is getting at is is that your joy produces giving. See, grace brings joy. That leads to giving. Giving is not a way to show how much we can do for God, but it actually is illustrating what he has done for us. Can I say that again? Giving is not to show what we can do for God, but to show how much God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And so why is giving profitable? Because giving keeps you connected to the heart of Christ. How do, what do I mean by that? If you looked at verse 5 and 9, as we give ourselves to the Lord first for the sake of others, we connect to the heart of God. A giving, gracious heart. We connect with the purpose of Christ's mission and work. We give ourselves away like he did for others to allow others to experience the riches of the grace and mercy of God in Christ Jesus. That's why we give. And essentially, we show the kindness of God. And as we do this, we demonstrate Christ to others and we drink deeper of Christ himself. Why? Because when you give as Christ gave, you see Christ for who he is. If you can't give, you're missing the fundamental thing of Christ, which was giving himself for us. And so why then is it actually profitable? Because it keeps us connected to the heart of Christ, like I just said, but it also is a witness to the world. Jesus made it clear in John 13 and 1 John that love toward our brothers and sisters in Christ is one of the primary ways that the world sees who we are. Our love is a very real demonstration that we are true disciples of Christ. It shows that we've been changed by Christ into people who are tightly bound to him. We love one another enough to get out of our self-centered, self-consumed 
little worlds. That's what Christ does for us. As we love one another in tangible ways, Christ is seen and known in our community and in the communities that surround us. The world then says, see? See how they love? That, we know, is what Christ did, even though reject Him. They know that's who Christ is. They are like their Christ. See, the world says, they tell me, Christians tell me, that this is who Christ is. But their lives don't match that Christ that they say is everything to them. And that's dissonant to non-believers. But when we are like our Christ, the world has nothing to do but see Jesus in us. But it also protects us from the world. You see, there's a very real danger for us getting caught up in the love of money, which will produce all sorts of evil in our lives. You see, the, these roots are like the love of the present world, which causes many to fall away. The love of money is idolatry, and so is the love of this present world. When we do either of these things, we put something above God, we worship something else in the place of God. It might be your comfort. It might be your ease. It might be your future. But when we give, we put to death a very small piece of the affection for money, of the affection for the world. We make a statement to ourselves that money is not where our hope is. Money is not where our confidence is. Christ is where our hope and confidence is. You see, there are, these are some pretty powerful benefits of giving. But after setting out such a powerful motivation for giving, the love of Christ himself and the benefits that flow from, from that, if it, get, it gets you and grips you, you might want to give away the farm and say, that's it. I'm going to get rid of everything I have. I'm going to pour it out. And so one question that often comes up in topics concerning money is the question of what are the limits of giving? I don't know if you knew the Bible says this, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 11 to 15 shows us the limits of giving. Look at verse 10. Look at verse, as we look here and we saw in verse 10 that it is basically the inference of what the reality of the gospel should, that should make us give. But he tells them in, in 11 to 12 that they are to give out of their desire and out of what they have, not out of what they have. Listen to this. It says, um, so now finish doing it as well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing of it of, out of what you have. Four, if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does have. He uses according to what a person has twice, and he says not according to what one does not have once. He's being very clear in these verses. Now, in other words, basically what Paul is saying is that they shouldn't be giving more than what they have, making themselves poor, but rather they should be giving out of what they actually do have. In essence, he's saying to them, don't give away the fountain or the source of your giving Give out of that which you have available. Give out of that which you have available. He, however, is not saying just to give a little either, just to be clear. He's not saying, well, just give a little. Because you saw that. The Macedonians in earlier in those verses basically gave more than what they even had. So he's not saying that. What he is saying is that we must give out of the riches of our heart, but that giving should not destroy us financially. 
So think of it this way. After giving the example of the Macedonian churches and their abundant giving, even more than they could afford, and showing how Christ became poor to make us rich, I think he could easily see how the Corinthians would be like, that's it, we're giving everything away. And that they do it without thought. And it might be to prove something. It's like, hey, we're not going to let these poor Macedonians outgive us. We're going to give more. Right? So I think Paul might be thinking that. So what he's saying here is that we need to give out of our heart's readiness what we're ready to give and out of our ability, not out of some other deep, dark, lurking motive or out of what we don't have. You see, giving should be done liberally out of your means. Giving should be done liberally out of your means. Now, there's lots could be said about what you do with your means that doesn't allow you to give out of your means. Am I right? I mean, you could spend $500 a month on, you know, eating out, for instance, and say, I don't have any money to give, to, you know, right? <laughs> I mean, and then you say, well, that's my means. Well, okay, are you living appropriately with what God has given you? Are you using it wisely? Something you have to think through. Now, verse 13, we see that giving should, be, should bring equality or fairness to those who need it, not to poverty. Now, some of you might be thinking, gosh, that sounds like socialism or communism. Fairness? Equity? Well, it sounds like people who love one another is what it sounds like. Right? It sounds like people in Acts chapter 2 that gave everything so that others could have. It sounds like people who know Jesus and who know that each one of you in this room are united to Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ poured out his blood for you. And so if I know that, then what should I do? I should take care of you. I should help you when you are in me. That's what it sounds like. We are one in Christ Jesus. And if we are one in Christ Jesus, we should be using our means to help one another. Listen, every system in this world steals from God. Political systems, social systems, they take and they steal ideas that are biblical. And they take those and they contort them. They distort them. And so you can look at ideas that are found in the scripture and you can say, well, that sounds like this or that sounds like this. No, that stuff was taken from the Bible principles and then they added a bunch of other stuff to it. So... Think things through at a deeper level at what we're saying. Should, the fa should a family take care of one another? Yes? Please say yes. Yes. A family should take care of each other. Who are you in Jesus Christ? Who are we? What are we in Jesus Christ? We are a family of missionary servants. That's what we are. We are a family. So why wouldn't we take care of one another? Can you see? It's a motivation out of who we really are, our true identity, which is found in Jesus Christ. And if I am your brother, and you are my sister, or you are my brother, or mother, or father, then I will give out of my resources to make sure that you are taken care of. That's what we do. So verse 13, 
it says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. That's a whole lot of fairness going on there. That's what he's talking about. So basically, he's talking about equality or fairness between the giver and the receiver, not poverty. In other words, what would be the point of giving so much that when one thing bad happens to you, you would need people to give to you? Think about it, right? This is what he's saying. Okay, I'm in trouble, and you expend all of your bank account. You have no more expendable cash. You max out all your credit cards, whatever, and you make sure that I'm taken care of. And then your tire pops on your car. What do you have to do? You have to come back to us to get money to cover that. He's saying, that's kind of silly, guys. If you do that, you're kind of missing the point. It's not to bankrupt yourself so that you can't give. It's to give so that there's equality and equity, not for you just to then have trouble at the very next thing that happens to you that's a problem. So you don't give away the fountain to give, but you give. So... Corinth was a prosperous city because of its success um, there financially in trade and agriculture and commerce. And many were probably living in a similar situation as us here in the United States in New England are living. And so Paul is looking at them and saying, hey, you guys are living in an abundance. And many other Christians aren't. Think about that when you give. That's as simple as I can make this message. You guys got a bunch. They don't. Think about that when you give. Mic drop. That's what he's talking about. So the reality is that one of the duties of churches is to care for the poor and help them improve their lives. And this is clearly seen in the Pentateuch. Don't glean your fields all the way to the outside. Leave some stuff for people to walk and pick. In, 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 when Matt was praying, he mentioned James. Pure and undefiled religion. Before God is this, to take care of widows and orphans, to keep yourself unspotted from the world, meaning live upright and moral lives, free from sin and sexual immorality and gossip and slander, malice and anger and wrath and all those things. And so essentially, in the Bible, it's clear that we are to give like that. And, but there is, there is a need to give and to give richly. Or hilariously, God loves a cheerful or a hilariously happy giver. And so, not to give beyond what we can afford, however, we don't give away the source of our giving. Though it appears that the Macedonians may have done this, this is not necessarily what all of us should do. The point is the heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Give what you are called to. Consider your heart and your life circumstances and give. It is not about how much you give monetarily, however. God doesn't need your money. And you know that, right? He doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It is about how you give in relationship to what you have been given or what you have. So if you were to look at what you have and look at your giving, would you see this big, massive thing and this tiny little thing over here, which is your giving? Do you see that's what Paul's getting at? 
All this over here is what you have. How much are you giving over here? God doesn't say to give it all away. He just says to give generously out of your heart. And so Paul speaks of the idea of proportional balance. Did you think about that? In this passage, proportional balance is equity. Not as a legal principle, though. There's no number. You, you know that I'm talking. There's no number, per se. Just give out of what you have from your heart. When you find you have plenty, when we find we have plenty, we can help others who don't have enough. That's a simple, that's a simple as he's saying. God wants us to give out of our heart, and that is where his focus is. He doesn't want us to live with the root of all kinds of evil sitting in the seed of our hearts. You understand that? God says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Do you think your loving father wants that to sit in your heart? You're exactly right. You are exactly right. She's listening. Good job. That is awesome. Makes me happy. Um, Y'all can do that too. It's okay. You really can. It doesn't bother me. Um, So... Basically, we give out of what we have from the heart, and so both the rich and the poor can give proportionally great gifts to God. You understand that? If you don't have a lot of money, you can give a great, great gift to God. It's not about the sum. It's about what you're giving out of what you have. And that story of Jesus, which is so awkward, I mean, would you really want Jesus sitting over there watching you as you put money into the offering? That's what Jesus did, you know. He was watching the Pharisees dump those massive bags of money in there. And his attention was drawn to one lonely widow who put just a couple of pennies, probably 14% of her income for the year is my guess, into that. And Jesus said, and that, she gave more. She gave more than everybody else. So to God, that she gave out of what she had, more than what she probably could afford, God looked at that and said, that I see as the greatest amount that was actually given. Because God owns everything. What's money to him, right? What's money? So, even the poor can give a great offering. Um, what will be the reciprocity, though, to the, to the church of Corinth? They receive rich spiritual blessings from the covenant that was originally given and held by the Jews. This is what he brings up in verse 13, 15. So let me try to explain this. I was like trying to figure out how to word this and whatever, but let me try to explain this simply. The Jews in Jerusalem were the Jews that had been given the promises and the covenant back all the way in Genesis 3.15, in Genesis 12.15.17 with the promise to Abraham. They had the promise of Jesus Christ. That was their rich blessings, their spiritual blessings. What they gave to the church, the Gentiles, was the covenant and the promises. And so the spiritual blessings that the church in Jerusalem was giving to the, the, to, that, to the church in Corinth was their richness of the heritage of the scriptures of the Old Testament, of the stories, of all that. And so it may not be that the Jews could financially give back reciprocity, but they could give the covenants and all that they had 
and been given and passed on. I think that's what Paul is saying. And so, basically, the Jerusalem church has already given them a great gift, the new covenant. And so let's look now at verse 15 to close this out and then we'll apply this. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Did you notice the... um, Did you notice the scripture reading we had from Exodus chapter 16? The reason we read that was because that story was the story of the manna, and that is where Paul pulls this particular passage out. Paul cites that basically everybody had what they need, reciprocity. God provides. So here's here's what I found to be interesting in verse 15. In the Old Testament, the reciprocity that was given was by way of a miracle, wasn't it? God gave manna. So that was how everybody had what they needed, was through a miracle. Now here's the question. Under the New Testament, is it by a miracle that everybody would have what they need? If you're not seeing the connection, let me tell you. God provided for everyone just as much as they needed God controlled how much each one received for the manna. And now as we are in the new covenant, and we have received the miracle of redemption, the forgiveness of sin, our giving is to bring reciprocity. And for I, I'm sorry, if you're ki- kids, if you're younger, you don't know what that word, reciprocity means fairness. It just means there's this here and this here, and they're equal. Um, this reciprocity is no longer the miracle of manna and quail, but it is the miracle of God's grace poured out in the hearts of God's people, which produces a normalcy in giving. You see, our giving is produced from a heart that was reborn by a miracle. God provided for his people by way of the manna, and the quail by way of a miracle. And now he provides for his people by way of the miracle of your hearts being filled with grace and giving out of that heart. That is a miracle still. Because if you are the world, if you are the world, there's no reason to give unless you're going to get something out of it. It is a miracle that we give to others. So the equality of provision in the Exodus should be matched and exceeded in the New Covenant because the New Covenant is the greatest Exodus of all time. Because God's provision in the manna and quail is reconfirmed in Christ, our true bread, in Christ, our true food. Christ is the one who has provided us true bread and true true, uh, food. The major difference now, though, is that it is provided by God himself through his people as he lives in them. You see the difference between the miracle of manna and the miracle of our giving? Paul's trying to tell you that that miracle comes by what God does in your heart. So how do we, what do we do with this? How do we, what do we learn from this? The quantity of your giving is up to you. One commentator said this, commentator said this, I am convinced that the quantity of your giving will match the quality of your changed hearts. The quantity of your giving will match the quality of your changed hearts. 
It has been said that one preacher sent out an appeals letter that stated this. You can't outgive God. We have figured out that if everyone who hears our program sends $67, we'll, all, we'll have all the money we need, and God will give it back to you five times over. So an astute listener wrote back, I believe you can't outgive God. So here's my deal. You send me $67, and I'll have the money I need, and then God will give it back to you five times over. Now, interestingly enough and predictably enough, that was the last appeal letter that that man received. <laughs> but you see, we can't forget that we are also told that by giving, we will store up treasure in heaven. And I am sure that giving out of the abundance of the grace that has been given to us out of the heart will. The abundance of grace as we pour out and give will be rewarded in heaven. However... If you are giving to get credit in heaven for it, you need to remember the Scottish usher who said, you will only get credit for a penny. So that's the point. Paul is teaching us that the Corinthians should, should have a life kind of like Zacchaeus experienced when he came to Christ. People who truly experience the extravagant saving grace of God in Christ give. That's what they do. The reality is that giving itself is a grace that is given to us by God. God gives you the grace to give. God's grace was given to the Macedonians who begged for the grace of helping to meet the needs of the saints. And this example is given to us and the Corinthians to urge us to complete the grace of God in our lives. But most of all, it is the grace of Christ that we should look to. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, by, that, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That was in verse 9. You see, we as God's people give from a joyful heart according to what we have, and we do not bankrupt ourselves. We give out of what we have, but we give out of a heart of grace. Let's reconsider how we live in this world. Let's look to the joy that we find in Jesus Christ as we have experienced his grace. And let's live and let's give out of that grace. Let's pray. Glorious, gracious, and kind Father. Beautiful, amazing Son. Comforting, leading, guiding spirit, would you give us hearts that give and give us lives that live out the reality of the grace that we have experienced. So we thank you and praise you. And would you apply this word to our hearts and make us people who give out of the abundance of the grace that you have given to us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.